Brian McClanahan Show, episode 234. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Brian McClanahan. Like my Facebook page at Brian McClanahan. And of course, subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast at Brian McClanahan. If you don't want to find all those social media sites, just go to my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. You've got all my social media buttons at the top of the page. Also, while you're there, give me an email address and I'll give you a free ebook and a free audiobook, Forgotten Founders. Read by yours truly. You can also support the Brian McClanahan Show though there by going to, uh, at the top of the page, you'll see a button that says support. Click on that, and you've got ways to donate to the program. You can donate however much you want to donate. Anything is appreciated. Keep these lights on if you're watching the podcast. Keep the podcast going. Uh, you can also buy book plates there if you want my autograph on your book. Just go ahead and purchase those. Uh, it's a great way to get my autograph without having me send me a book or me send you a book. You just get the plate, stick it on your book, and you got it. So it's a great way to do that. You can also support the Brian McClanahan Show by going to mclanahanacademy.com, where it's always free to enroll. And if you do enroll, I give you a free course. So you want to enroll, get the free course, and then you get the best deals on forthcoming courses, which I do have a couple of coming out this year. So you're going to want those. They're going to be awesome classes. And uh, I, I mean, I can't Look, they're going to be some of the best classes I've done. So you're going to want these courses. It's um, They are U.S. history courses. They're going to be so good. Uh, so go on out to mclanahanacademy.com, enroll for free, and uh, get your free course. Also, I've got a new affiliate program with that. If you're interested in making some dough on selling McClanahan Academy, it's a great product, go out and become an affiliate. Uh, so you can, you can earn some money selling McClanahan Academy courses. So if you're listening to this, and maybe you're on the fence whether you want to enroll or not. But, hey, I'm, I'm going to let you make some dough off of me, too. So you're going to want to do that as well. If you are already enrolled, you can do that. So if you listen to this podcast and you're a McClanahan Academy uh, patron, someone who's in there already, uh, you can just uh, go to the top of the page on that website. It says Affiliate Programs. Click on that. All the details are there. And, of course, you can always get your McClanahan, Brian McClanahan Show gear by going to redbubble.com or if you go to brianmcclanahan.com where it says shop at the top of the page, click on that, and you've got my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. So uh, you, if you want a T-shirt in the summer, it's hot, get a T-shirt, wear it around, promote the show that way. And also always, you know, share my stuff on social media, rate it on uh, iTunes or Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to the show, all kinds of great ways to help Spread the word about the Brian McClanahan Show. Go out to YouTube and, of course, like that. More likes, the better. So help me uh, get the word out there. And um, I, I appreciate anything you do. I appreciate everyone trying to do this stuff. And, of course, if you ever have show ideas, just shoot them over to me. I get these all the time. So um, it's a great way to, uh, to interact. And, again, I may not always respond, but I do read your emails. All right. That said, I've got a great topic for today. In fact, I'll say this. I've got so much good stuff lined up. I think I've got about six or seven episodes lined up that are going to be really good. Uh, two of them, the following two after this one, are going to focus on a singular issue. And it's going to be um, part of my uh, appearance on the Michael Malice Show coming up. Uh, I don't know when he's going to air the program, but I will be on that show. But 
I'm going to focus on the right because Michael Malice came out with a new book, The New Right, and I'm going to review that book. And I'm also going to talk about the new right and the right and conservatism and these things. So I'm going to do that following this podcast. The next two after this one are going to focus on that. But today I want to do something else. And it's something that's, I think, very important. And it's actually an article that was published in The Federalist. Um, Let's see, it was on the 29th of May this came out. And it's by uh, John Daniel Davidson. He writes some okay pieces here and there. Um, But I want to talk about this article because as a history professor, whether it's through the work I do online or whether it's through the work that I do on my full-time daytime job, Um, This is something that I've seen. It's very troubling that history and civics, particularly civics, uh, they are generally subjects that students struggle quite a bit with. And you'd think it'd be the exact opposite. You would think that students would be coming out of high school and they would, of course, get to their advanced mathematics. And that would be the area that they would struggle the most. And we do have, see a lot of students who struggle with math. I mean, it's just, they get through, math becomes difficult. "Ah, I I don't like this or... Uh, but history is one that they've had since the time they were in kindergarten. So they should know these things, right? They should know a large part. I mean, they should they should have all of the quote-unquote facts laid out. They should know these things. But what I find is that students don't have that. They don't even have the basic information down because what they learn in school, what they generally learn in school now, are platitudes and slogans and chants. They learn left-wing propaganda. And so when they get to college, they haven't really learned anything. Uh, Years ago, years ago, and I'm talking, when I say years ago, I'm talking decades ago, a century ago, when students would go into a history course, they would learn a catechism. In fact, one of the more prominent textbooks of the late 19th century, early 20th century, was a catechism. So you would go in and you would learn wrote memorization of names and dates. And of course, people found this very boring and stilting and they just didn't like it. So then what we're going to do, we're going to take away the names and dates. We're going to learn themes. We're going to learn theories. We're going to learn just overall trends. But when you do that, what essentially happens is you start replacing the information with propaganda. Now, um, I think it's important to learn how things work together. It's it's one thing that I do quite a bit of in my courses. If you take a McClanahan Academy course, you're going to get that. But when you take my U.S. history course, what you're going to see when, when you get to that, those are going to be the, the hub courses of McClanahan Academy, and that's what the next two courses are going to be. It's going to be, in some ways, more traditional. You're going to get, and, and these classes are going to be so cool because you're going to be able to use them if you're a homeschooler for your... Uh, for your core U.S. history requirements for high school. Uh, Of course, if you're taking, if you're in college and you want just to get the other side, you're going to be able to get that. So you can annoy all your leftist professors. But there's going to be a tremendous amount of traditional historical learning in that because it's essential. Now, this article actually hits everything on the head when it comes to why some of the problems are occurring in history. So let me, let me, The title of the article is Americans' Loss of Interest in the Civil War as Part of a Disturbing Trend. Now, first of all, just by calling it the Civil War, you're creating problems, I think. 
Uh, but, I mean, even if you just want to say, we're just going to go vanilla, Civil War, this is what it's always been called, we're just going to call it that. All right, good. We'll call it the Civil War, okay? He begins, Americans are losing interest in the Civil War, or at least they are losing interest in learning about it and visiting historic battle sites. This is true of any historical site. It's not just, quote-unquote, Civil War battle sites. It's Williamsburg. It's museums. It's house museums. Um, where, where I live, there's a what they call the, the Williamsburg of the South. And they had to move it because nobody was going. I remember going down there where this place was located. And I would be the only one there. I mean, so you've got this site with all these cool old buildings. And they would have people there that would be, uh, you know, essentially reenactors doing all kinds of neat stuff. And I'd be the only one in the entire place. And you're talking about, you know, 20 acres or more of property with, with dozens of buildings, houses, courthouse, public buildings, churches. I mean, all kinds. It was a, t- a whole town. The only one there. Now, sometimes you, if you went down on a weekend, you might have two dozen people there. Two dozen people. So they've moved it to try to get more interest in it. And that might happen because they moved it right across the street from a major museum uh, that is visited quite frequently because, number one, it's free. And number two, uh, it's right on a military base. And so when the soldiers graduate, all of the families come in. It's right there where the museum is. So they go to the museum. So the hope is they're just going to go right across the street to this other, uh, to this other place. And, and uh, then they'll, they'll tour that more often. That might be the case. But Americans overall, I mean, I was, I was interested, I became interested in history because of Williamsburg. I went there when I was 12 years old. I tell the story often. Went there when I was 12 and decided this is what I wanted to do. I loved history from that point forward. Now, I always liked it, but I loved it after that. We went to Jamestown. We went to Williamsburg. And the past came alive to me, and I wanted to be part of that. That's what I wanted. And so going to these places... It's great. And I think the thing that struck me the most, the coolest part about all those things, is when we went to the governor's mansion, we went to the recreated House of Burgesses, and I felt like, and we saw the militia rally on the green. And to me, it felt like I was there, but it felt like I was walking in the footsteps of greatness. And you see, that is the key to getting people to like history. This still happens for people, but they only do it in left-wing context now. You see, because much of American history is bad. Because much of American history is bad, it should be erased. This is Orwellian. This is the problem with taking down Confederate monuments. And and Davidson gets into that. So let me continue with the piece. The Wall Street Journal reported recently that the the country's five major Civil War battlefield parks, Gettysburg, Antietam, which is Sharpsburg, Shiloh, Chickamauga, and Chattanooga, and Vicksburg, had a combined 3.1 million visitors in 2018, down from 10.2 million in 1970. Gettysburg, America's most famous and hallowed battlefield, drew fewer than a, few, fewer than a million visitors last year, and just 14% of the visitor total in 1970. Now, I'll say this about that time period. 1970, you're still on the heels of the centennial. There was a tremendous amount of interest in the war in the 1960s. And so that was the World War II generation, All of those individuals by the 1960s and 70s were in their 40s and 50s. And so they were interested in going around and looking at these places. And of course, war was still on their mind. And there was a tremendous amount of American nationalism at that point. 
And so this is what, you know, Pat Buchanan and others talk about, this time period where it was like that. There was a tremendous amount of interest in the American nation. What made America great? So these battlefields were part of that. But at the same time, there was also an acceptance, in fact, an, em- an em- embrace of Confederate history as well. People were really interested in it. Now, the left-wing professors were trying to push people away from that in the 1960s already, and even before that. I mean, look, Kenneth Stamp was writing before the 60s. And Stamp is a neo-abolitionist. He really hated the South, and he didn't want anyone to admire the South for any reason. Uh, and so you, ha- you already had that. But um, a lot of people had grown up on the histories of Avery Craven and Randall. And so that was the blending gener- blundering generation school. And these people thought, you know, this war could have been avoided. We could have still been friends if it hadn't just been for these stupid politicians that dragged everybody into war. We could have avoided the war. So it's how you interpret the war that matters. And Davidson gets into that. In addition to fewer tourists, the number of Civil War reenactors is also declining. Many are growing old, and younger men are not stepping in to replenish their ranks. As one 68-year-old reenactor who recently helped organize a recreation of the Battle of, uh, uh, I'm sorry, a battle in Georgia, told the Journal, the younger generations are not taught to respect history, and they lose interest in it. But it's not just that young people are not taught to respect history; they're not taught history at all. Now, let me let me say about reenactors. Number one, uh, I, I know a lot of reenactors. And, and bless them. But I, f- I fully believe that if Southerners from the 1860s would come back today, uh, they wouldn't want to walk around in wool uniforms out in 90 degree heat in the middle of the summer. I- I'm sorry, they just wouldn't want to do it. I- I've never been shown any int- I've never had any interest in reenacting because of that, right? I love modern uh, cool clothing and I don't want to run around the heat. But it's not just that young people are not taught to respect history. They're often not taught history at all. To the extent that they are, they are told that American history is a parade of horribles, slavery, genocide, bigotry, greed, a story above all of injustice and oppression perpetrated by the powerful against the weak. What we are getting now in history is what Gibbon said history is. History is little more than the crimes, follies, and misfortunes of mankind. This is nothing new. This is what Edward Gibbon said history was in the 18th century. And he was talking, of course, about Roman history, but all history. He's saying, look, history is all the bad stuff. So what, we're, what we've gotten now is not a remembrance of history, a heroic history, but all the bad stuff. We are so cynical in America now. And I don't, I don't think it's just America. It's all over the world. We've become so cynical of America. We become so cynical of Western civilization. It's so bad because all the other people are telling you it's bad that you feel guilty about it all the time. And you don't want to say, hey, you know what? I love George Washington. I love Thomas Jefferson. I love James Madison. You know what? It's okay to say you love Alexander Hamilton because he's a leftist, supposedly, which he really wasn't. But he was. See, it's okay to love certain people, but you can't love the others. You can't say, you know what? I think Robert E. Lee was a great American. Oh, my God. (gasps) You're going to put people into epileptic shock by saying that now. (gasps) You, 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 you like (laughs) Robert? They're going to hyperventilate. You like Robert E. Lee? Yeah, he's right over my shoulder. I, I do. I think Robert E. Lee was a great American. He was the embodiment of the founding generation. He was the quintessential Southern gentleman. But of course, even the attempt to tear him down 
is tremendous. Same thing with people like John C. Calhoun or anybody else from the South. You see, the problem is there are certain people in history, American history, that are okay, particularly after 1975. Everyone is basically okay at that point, unless they're on the right, then they're not okay. But if they're on the left after 1975, they're good people. They're all just good people. Uh, and maybe even from 1965 or maybe even 1955, if they're on the left, they're good. What, what people don't realize is that it was the left that was driving a lot of the stuff that people just hate today. The progressives. They were driving all of this stuff. We live in a progressive America. The progressives were the ones that gave us segregation. They were open about it. Segregation was progressive, they said. Southern slave owners actually said that slavery was progressive. This, is, this has been documented. They, they, were, they were calling slavery the model labor institution. It was progressive. Um, now, were they feudal progressive? We could get into a whole podcast about that, you know, the, the, the issue of slave owners and what they said about it. But, I mean, if you want to say that it's, it's, they were viewing it as a, as a part of progress. I mean, it's progress that's really the problem. Now, no wonder then that recent public interest in the Civil War has mostly taken the form of a push to remove Confederate monuments from public places and rename buildings and roads bearing the names of Confederate leaders. We hear much about removing and renaming these days, but almost nothing about building more and better monuments or reinvigorating public interest and education about the war. What's a better monument? That's, that's an interesting question. I would want to ask Davison, what do you mean by better monuments? Ones with contextualization? Because I don't know if you could improve on the ones that were built that are being torn down in terms of artistic beauty or what they said. These monuments were coming from people who had been there. Most of the monuments were built in the 25th and 50th anniversary of the war by great sculptors. Not just good artists, but great sculptors. Uh, some of the most beautiful, North and South. Uh, were built by fantastic artists. And so how are you going to improve on those? I mean, this is what the left says they're actually doing. They're improving on them by contextualizing them. Here stands John C. Calhoun, the defender of slavery. Here stands Robert E. Lee, a man who supposedly uh, brutally whipped slaves, which didn't happen. If it did... Lee wasn't there, and Lee probably had no role in it. I mean, this, but see, this is what we get now. Uh, you get a book that comes out that trashes Lee, and oh, this is the best book ever written. Even though the best book on Lee ever written, which is Douglas Southall Freeman's four volume history of Lee, completely takes apart this entire position. He already addressed it near 70 years ago, 80 years ago. He already addressed it. But no, the, the new book on Lee is the best. And I remember when I was uh, teaching at another college, the librarian there used to say to me, well, I mean, we're getting the new books in. This, this is the newest version. It's the new, new and best understanding of history is coming. We got to get all the new history books. I'm thinking to myself, that doesn't make any sense. It's just a new interpretation. It doesn't mean it's the best. It might mean it's the worst. In fact, usually it is. So uh, this is, it's, it's interesting how these things are perceived. The newest is the best. In a country where large numbers of college graduates do not even know the half-century in which the Civil War occurred, but are convinced that Confederate monuments should come down, we should expect genuine interest in the Civil War to wane, if not to disappear entirely, except perhaps as an object for political activism. And this is true. 
I mean, the war itself has become an, a, 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 a means to go out and act like a bunch of petulant little children throwing a fit about nothing. What, uh, uh, one of the, uh, a teacher in South Carolina went to a John C. Calhoun protest and had a sign that said, show me where the monument hurt you. Hilarious, because, I mean, this is, and of course, people got in his face with megaphones and all kinds of things. Show me where the monument hurt you. Show me on your body where that monument actually hurt you. This inanimate object that's been there for over 100 years, where has it hurt anybody? In fact, what it's doing is celebrating great men. Calhoun was called one of the greatest statesmen in American history, one of the best American senators by John F. Kennedy from Massachusetts. He also said Daniel Webster is great. I mean, but this is the thing. We used to have great men, and people used to revere these great men. Everyone knew they, were, they had faults. Everyone knew they, had, they weren't perfect. But we had great men that we could admire. We don't have anybody great anymore. We just admire the self. It's viva yo. The only person we admire is ourselves. Now, one thing that's interesting about that and is either they admire themselves or they loathe themselves. And because they loathe themselves and they loathe life and they loathe everything around, they got to tear everything down because they're over-medicated. This is um, one of the things that Malice's book I thought was absolutely hilarious. When he gets into the left and how they, they actually promote how many uh, of the psychotropic drugs they're on, whether it's for depression or just taking as recreational, how they just talk about, I'm on this, I'm on this, I've been to this therapist and done this. I mean, these people actually celebrate their mental instability. That would be something that people would have said, you don't want to talk about that. Not anymore. It becomes a badge of honor to walk around like that. And at the same time, people that were mentally stable, great great men that did great things, men of action and time of action, well, they have to be torn down because they're too good, I guess. They're not, they're not, uh, uh, they're not something that we can relate to anymore. And then he says, the politicization of history invites ignorance. This problem, of course, goes be well beyond the Civil War. It encompasses all of history. Consider the case of the College Board's Advanced Placement U.S. History Examination. In 2014, the National Association of Scholars issued a report exposing the exam's heavy progressive bias, systematic downplaying of American virtues, and outright omission of important periods in American history. The report sparked enough outrage and bad press that the College Board revised its exam, this time including previously omitted figures like James Madison, but according to the NAS, the course materials for the test were unchanged and reflected the same progressive bias. Well, this is true. I mean, you look at the U.S. history and the, the topics they picked. You see, this is where bias comes in. It's not just how the story is told, but it's what they pick to talk about. Same thing with news. News bias comes out in the stories they pick to talk about. I remember uh, last week when Trump tweeted out that um, something about that uh, the, the Russians... Uh, the fact that the Russians helped his election. I mean, it was, it was the way that he said it was, he, the semantics are wrong. The, gr the grammar was wrong. He didn't mean what the, what the press, of course, took it. <gasps> Here it is. The Russians colluded. But this is the main story. I saw it all over the place. I'm sitting around watching TV, uh, and I'm seeing this uh, as the big story. Then, I, then on the internet, it's all over. It's, I mean, main, it's on the Drudge Report, top headline, because of semantics. So the press ran with uh, clearly a mistake in how he presented it. That's not what he meant. But they, oh, here it is, clear evidence. The Russians were interfering with the election. The Russians helped him get elected because that's what he said. These people almost can't be parodied. 
They're so stupid. But the stories they choose, I mean, a tweet now becomes a story? Just simply a tweet. Think about that for a second. A tweet is a story. Now, how idiotic is that? When you really think about it, a tweet becomes a story. This is because the left, the press, lives on Twitter, and they think Twitter is the world. So a tweet becomes the biggest headline. Breaking news. President Trump tweets. How stupid. Really, how stupid. And then, and then of course, it's the story about who's going to sit next to Trump in England. And what's that going to say? What is his motivation for going to Great Britain? Um, I don't know. How about that all presidents do that since Woodrow Wilson? I mean, is Trump any different? Oh, well, I could say that. You know, why would a president go to Great Britain? Why would they go there? I mean, we could say that. Uh, but we are in the 21st century, so it's easy to just fly there. I mean, look, in the 18th century, Washington wouldn't have gone to England. It was, you know, a long trip. Uh, but uh, we in the 21st century, it's easy to just hop on Air Force One. You fly over, and you're there. It's no big deal. So why not? Of course, Obama was taking these things as family vacations. You know, Trump doesn't have to do that. Uh, in 2016, the NAS decided to take a closer look at another of the College Board's offerings, the new AP European History Examination, which it turns out reflected the same progressive bias as the American History Exam. The College Board's persisting progressive distortion of history substantiates concern that the 2015 A-Push revisions do not represent a genuine change of direction, wrote the NAS's uh, David Randall, but only a temporary detour in the College Board's long march to impose leftist history on the half a million of American high school students each year who prepare themselves to the college by taking a push, uh, the AP U.S. History Exam or the AP European History Exam. Progressive bias in high school and college curricula is in part the long legacy of Howard Zinn, who's a People History of the United States, first published in 1980, presents a cartoonish left-wing version of American history that pits the people against the rulers and cast the entire American experiment of democratic self-rule in decidedly negative light. That approach is now common among professional historians, with the result that growing numbers of Americans do not know much or care to know much about their own history. Well, I mean, this is before Zen. This is the, this is the direction anyways, before Zen. Uh, this idea of inclusion. We don't have great men, we just have a bunch of things that happen because of people doing things. Um, and I'll give you an example. Go down, I went down to Fort Pickens in Pensacola. The entire interpretation of the fort now is not really the great men that were there or the events. It's about the slaves that built the fort. But no real mention. I mean, they do talk about it a little bit, but no mention of the individual that designed it. There's his, He's buried right outside the fort, and there's a little turnoff where you can go see that. But, I mean, there's nothing pointing you what this is. You have to go up and actually start reading it. They don't... They don't really explain any of this. Here's the guy that was responsible for the construction of the fort. Just because somebody laid some bricks down doesn't mean they built the thing. I mean, I know they physically put the bricks there, but did they design it? Did they engineer it? Did they have the, did they have the capacity to do that? I mean, I can't build a fort. That's pretty impressive to go in and build something like that. I mean, are we going to go now and look at great buildings all over the world and say, you know what? You know who built this? The guy laying the bricks. The guy putting the steel girders up. He built this thing. And of course, they were part of that. And there's a lot of pride in that. But would they have known how to do it if it wasn't for the engineer? And this is this is where we get into this issue of, you know, you got to have great people 
because great people inspire people to do things. Nobody's really inspired by a bricklayer. I mean, the bricklayer is an honest, a, a mason's an honest profession. You go out and you become a mason, you do that, you're a construction worker, you do those things. We need those jobs, honest jobs. And I, and I love the people that do that stuff. But and, and now in your own personal life, maybe that person's your father, maybe that person's your grandfather, maybe that person's your brother, and they're a good man. They're a good person. And so you want to be like them. Good, good people. That's, there's nothing. That's great. But you don't build civilizations on the workers. You build civilizations on great people. And so this is what history is supposed to do. You're supposed to focus on the great people because it inspires people to do things. But when you tear them down, if you say, you know what? Columbus is a great man, or Columbus, quote-unquote, discovered America, because that's what you have to say now. He, quote-unquote, discovered it. Stole America. Columbus stole America, but he was he believed in genocide and plunder. Well, I mean, it tears down everything. It no longer becomes a great event. To sail across the Atlantic Ocean, not knowing where you're going, frankly, if you just think about that today, how many people are willing, if you got on a sailboat, the boat that Columbus took over, how many, how many people would be willing to do this now, to hop on a boat that has a guy that works on the boat called a corker because his job is to seal up all the holes as the thing keeps filling with water as you're sailing across the Atlantic? Not knowing, and you got to remember, when he sailed over here, it was hurricane season still. So he's sailing over in hurricane season. They could have run into an Atlantic hurricane and been swamped. And this happened to a lot of people. You don't really know where you're going. Uh, you're, you don't have lights on the ship. If anybody's ever been out in the water at night and there's no lights, it is pitch black. If you have, particularly if there's no moon. If you have a moon, you can see a little bit. But with no moon, so dark, you can't see anything. And you're sailing on the Atlantic in that. The amount of bravery involved in that is tremendous. But yet, all you're going to do is tear these people down. Um, and that's that's problematic. It's, it's, it's a pandemic, really, in tearing everyone down, great men, because you can't have great men because great men are racist or white supremacist or, uh, you know, these people, again, genocide, slavery. That's it. We're just going to have platitudes and slogans. And we're not going to talk about the great accomplishments of these people and how many great things they did. Davison concludes, the dangers here, not just the Civil War battlefields will eventually lie fallow for lack of visitors, but that will remain, uh, they will un that we will unlearn the painful lessons of our past. Well, here he's actually buying into the, we got to unlearn, we're not going to learn these painful lessons. To some extent, we've already started down that path. Another recent NAS report, for example, examined the reemergence of segregation on college campuses, which the authors called neo-segregation. A survey of, 19, of 173 schools, excuse me, including small private colleges as well as major universities like the Massachusetts Institute of Technology and Yale University. The study found 42% of segregated residences, 46% of other, other segregated orientation programs, and 72% host segregated graduation ceremonies. These segregated graduation ceremonies are not mandatory, of course, but are offered in addition to regular graduation ceremonies. But the fact that they have become so prevalent on college campuses should disturb anyone. Disturb. That's the term the left uses. I'm disturbed. Should disturb anyone familiar with the history of segregation in America. Whether it's segregation by race, 
as at Columbia University's Raza graduation ceremony and black graduation or by sexual orientation. The trend of self-segregation among minority college students is a cause for worry, especially at a time when divisions in civil society are deepening. There's a ruthless logic to this, just as there's a ruthless logic to reducing American history to a catalog of the worst things we've ever done. If history is just another toll, I'm sorry, if history is just another tool, if I could read this morning, in the pursuit of political power, there's not much of an impetus to get it right. Now, his conclusion is left-wing. This is, this is dangerous because there's no greatness in America. There's no great, I mean, we're not studying great people, there's going to be, well, we have to learn lessons of the past. We have to learn the bad things. Well, you just said don't teach all the bad things, but now we have to learn the bad things. Why not learn the great things? Why not learn the great things about these people and understand they're human beings and they have faults and that in the 21st century we do things differently than in the 18th century, the 15th century. I mean, we can talk about torture. We can talk about the way that people used to be punished. Thank God we don't do those things anymore. But do we sit there and say these people were bad people? We just usually say, well, this is what happened. Thank God we have the Eighth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution and every state constitution also has protections against torture. Thank God we have those things. Now, can we can we enforce them better? Certainly. But you know what? We have these things. Why? Because these things happened. So great men decided we were going to put restrictions on those things. This is what happened. If we look at history as a series of unfortunate events that we have to learn from, it's the bad things. And this is when I ask students, what is history? This is, well, why do we study it? Well, because we got to learn about the bad things. Why not about the good things? Why not about, if everyone focuses on the bad, why not the good things? Why not focus on the great, the extraordinary? Why is it that everyone was watching Jeopardy here recently until, spoiler alert, if you didn't watch it, the the 32-day champion went down in defeat? But why did, why did ratings go up during that time period? Because it was extraordinary. Here you had a guy racking up six figures on Jeopardy, making two and a half, nearly two and a half million dollars in 32 days on a game show. The ratings were through the roof because people want to see the extraordinary. They want to have the greatness. If you don't have the greatness, nobody cares. If you go into interpretation and all you talk about are the people that worked on the plantation or the people that built this thing or the people, the toilers, if all you talk about is that, People don't care. They really don't care, and they get tired of being hectored to about how bad everything was. Why not talk about the actual, hey, look, let's talk about the great things that James Madison did. You know what he did? By golly, he helped write the U.S. Constitution. Now, we can say, we can talk about how good that document is, but that's a, that's a pretty important thing, don't you think? I can, I can bash Alexander Hamilton for the things that he did. But at the same time, I recognize Alexander Hamilton's greatness. I even say it in the beginning of the book. Alexander Hamilton was a great American. A great American. I may not agree with what he did, but he was a great American. I can say that about a lot of people that I don't agree with what they did. And so why not study the greatness and not the negativity? Why? Because it does not fit a political agenda. It does not fit the agenda to make people feel guilty about the past and therefore not care about it and only care about 1975 to the present. So I've got, I mean, my reconstruction course gets into this quite substantially. But 
when you take, and you're going to want to sign up for my U.S. history courses, when you take those from McClanahan Academy, you're not going to get this very pessimistic, downtrodden view of American history. In fact, I talk about the great explorers. I talk about how great these people were and how extraordinary they were because they were. That is what would save American history. That's what would save all history. It's talking about greatness. It's what attracted people to Trump when he said, make America great again. That term great, why is it everyone likes the New York Yankees? Why is it people like the Alabama Crimson Tide or now Clemson? Why is it that there's front runners? Because you want to be around greatness and you avoid, you shun the bad stuff. You don't want to talk about that. That's stupid. This is what historians are. I mean, they've gotten into that. They've gotten this rut where they don't talk about greatness anymore. They talk about bad things because they think we got to avoid these things. I mean, it's just like Davison. He gets into it at the end. His whole piece concludes by undermining everything you talked about at the beginning. So there it is. You want to bring history back? Talk about great people. Talk about them as great people and talk about the wonderful things they did. They were great. Americans used to love greatness. Now we despise it. It's just built on the backs of somebody else. It's Eric Clapton. It's in the way, is nobody right if somebody's wrong? Somebody has to be wrong in order for this to be right. Or whatever it is. You take wealth from somebody, he only has wealth because they did it, they took it from somebody else. Ridiculous. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Brian McClanahan Show. I will see you next time with a much with a bunch of great stuff. Get it next time. See you later.